Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all this morning. It was some good worship, wasn't it? Amen. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Well, today um, we begin a new series this morning called I Am, in which we are going to be exploring the I Am statements that Jesus shared with his disciples. And if you remember, at some point in his ministry, um, Jesus turned to his disciples and he asked a very simple question. And the question was this, who do people think that I am? And of course, the disciples answered, gave some various answers. Some think that you're Elijah, some think that you're Moses, you know, all this kind of stuff, gave these answers. And then Jesus asks a more pointed question to them and he says, who do you all think I am? And of course, we get from that what is called the great confession of Peter in which he says, well, you are the Christ, the Son of God. These I am statements that we're going to be starting this morning and continue on for the next several weeks is very unique in that Jesus is no longer asking the question of others or even of his disciples of who do you think I am. Rather, he is now telling them, this is who I am. And so this morning, we begin this series in discovering, if we haven't already, who Jesus Christ is personally, because he is the one who is sharing with us who he is. It's no longer a question about who we think he is. It is now rather a statement from him, from he himself of saying, this is who I am. And here's the thing is my hope is, is that as we go through this series, is there be a couple of things that we discover. Obviously, the first one is this, who Jesus says he is, okay, that we will have without a shadow of a doubt, this is who Jesus says that he is. And secondly, my hope is, is that as we go through this series, is that we will discover and learn more about who we are in the light of who Jesus is. And specifically that we will learn our need of him and why we need him. And why this world needs Jesus, okay? Because there is, in light of who Jesus says he is, there is a reality of who we are in the midst of that, and hopefully kind of this desire of saying, wow, I really need Jesus. Not only because of who he says he is, but also because of where I'm at in relation to that. And we'll kind of flesh that out as we go through this series starting today. And so the first I am statement that we're going to be taking a look at is a very simple one. And it's this, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, what is unique about Jesus in the way that he starts these statements, it's either coupled in this way, either he shares the statement, I am this, and then does some sort of miracle to show it, or he does a miracle and then says, I am. In this case, as we're going to look at today, he does a miracle first and then shares with the people, I am the bread of life. So the question is this, what's the miracle that Jesus did that led to him sharing the I am the bread of life? And the miracle that he did was feeding of the 5,000 plus people. Remember that story in John, and we're going to be in John chapter 6 today, but this story happens before that, but sets it up for what he says. And in that story, if you remember, Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people. The reason why I say plus is because it was 5,000 men, and we assume that there was also with those men women and children. So some estimates put it easily double than that, 10,000 plus. And remember, only, the only thing that Jesus had to work with was what? Yeah, fish and bread. 
That was it. A couple of loaves of bread and some fish, right? That's all he had to work with. And then all of a sudden this miracle happens in which he feeds all of these people. And all, and even after doing that, there's leftovers. Not only does he have you know, enough to feed everyone, but there's actually abundance left over. Well, of course, the crowds were incredibly impressed by this. So what do you think they did in response to Jesus performing this miracle among them as they said, hey, let's keep up with this guy. This guy feeds us. Let's be honest. Anyone who feeds you and feeds you good stuff, you're going to want to hang around that person, right? I mean, that's just, I mean, they just got good food, right? Um, You know, think about those times that you wanted to go to someone's house. And the reason why you wanted to go there is because you knew that you were going to eat really well there, Right? Think about that, right? I mean, one of the places I loved to go to when I was growing up was my grandmother's house. My grandmother was excellent at cooking. And I, I, and I realize this is not going to be your cup of tea for everyone, but it was for me. One of the things that she did really well, she made an awesome meatloaf. I mean, I love meatloaf. I don't know what it was in the sauce. I don't know what it was. I know some of you are going, meatloaf, that's disgusting. Well, you haven't had my grandmother's meatloaf. That's the problem. And so, I mean, it, it was just phenomenal. Here's the other thing. She made phenomenal apple pies. Growing up in Wisconsin, of course, I didn't have it this way, but it was common in Wisconsin that if you had had apple pie, you would have a la mode, right? But then you'd have a slice of cheese. Now, the cheese part didn't make any sense to me, and I didn't have it that way, but oh, it was was just fantastic. Zucchini bread. She made fantastic zucchini bread it was wonderful it was moist it was delicious it was just fantastic and i knew if i was going to my grandmother's house i was going to eat well in fact my grandmother ensured it right she just made sure that we were going to eat well and we and there was just an abundance of food well in the same way these people now having been fed by jesus and trust me being fed by jesus was no small thing, you were probably going to go, wow, this is really good stuff because Jesus doesn't serve junk, okay? That's not, that's not what he does. And so although he had some fish and some loaves of bread, it was probably really, really good. And not only that, it was free. And who doesn't like free? Amen. <laughs> right? Amen. Who doesn't like free? Of course we like free. And it's good. Well, all of a sudden, the crowds began to follow Jesus. Now, here's the thing. Jesus was trying to get away from them. Okay, and one of the stories is that after he had done this, he crossed over the Sea of Galilee. And if you remember, in that story, it's sandwiched in there. It's not a part of the overall story in this case. But nonetheless, that's where he walks on water. He tells the disciples, go ahead in the boat, and I'll meet you over there. And he ends up coming with them and walking on water. But nonetheless, he gets to the other side, and lo and behold, the crowds are there. They followed him. And they're just kept following him. And finally, Jesus, you know, realizes he's not going to lose these people. And so he decides that, well, you know, he knows this. I'm going to teach them. And this is where we pick up the story today. And as we do this, I want us to learn one thing. Remember I said this in the ion statements. There are two things we're going to learn, hopefully, from this series. One is who Jesus is. And secondly, a little bit about who we are and our need for Jesus. Well, here, let me start with this as a result of the miracle And it begins with this. We think in the moment, but here's the issue, we live in eternity. Let me say that again. We think in the moment, but we live in eternity. This is going to be playing out when Jesus speaks the following words here in John chapter 6, 
beginning with verse 26. Jesus says the following, and he's saying this to the crowds who wouldn't leave him alone, who wanted more bread and fish for free. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Remember, the reason why they're following Jesus at this point is because they got free food. Never mind the fact that he, you know, the the miracle he performed had a purpose to it. They didn't see that part. Rather, what they were just all enamored about was the fact they got free food. That's why the crowds were following Jesus. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this. And he says this, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him the Father God has set his seal. Now, think about this. How many of us, Know people, because I won't ask it of ourselves, but maybe you could, have only the reason why we follow Jesus is in the hopes of getting something from Him. How many of us have followed Jesus or have encountered Jesus or have come to church or have, or have been a part of things, not for what we can necessarily hope to maybe share, but rather what we can receive? What is it that we can get? What is it that we can get satisfied with? That was kind of the attitude here of the crowds. They weren't really interested in knowing about Jesus as much as they were getting something from Him. And how many of us have done that ourselves or know people who have done that? That the only reason why they may be involved in a church or the only reason why they may be following Jesus is because they hope to get something from him. And, and by the way, I think in some ways churches bear some responsibilities in the way that we have presented the gospel that has led people to think uh, that way. In the, in the fact that we've got this wonderful gift through Jesus Christ called grace, and all you have to do is just accept that grace, and, and, and you know, you'll be taken care of it. And that all of a sudden we develop these philosophies and these theologies, which I think are incredibly dangerous. I've shared this before, in which Jesus wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and all of this kind of wonderful stuff. And let me just tell you that if Jesus wanted you to be healthy and wealthy, he would have been healthy and wealthy. And he was not wealthy, was he? I mean, but we don't, we don't, you know, see that as much or don't want to accept that as much. And so we may be following Jesus in the hopes that, you know what, I'm kind of poor and I hope that if I follow Jesus, I'll get wealthy. Or we may be sick and we hope that maybe in following Jesus, I'll get, I'll get healthy and all this kind of stuff. And also we may find a very, very different reality when it comes to following Jesus. And the crowds here, we're going to be now facing that same reality. And the reality is, is that we think in the moment, don't we? These crowds were thinking in the moment. They were hungry. They got fed. That was great. Let's do it again. Right? We think in the moment. That's just how we are wired. Right? There may be some of you right here who are thinking right now, what are we having for lunch? I get it. What are we having for lunch? What is it that, that we're going to eat after the service is done here? Right? We're, we're just thinking kind of in the moment. Maybe we're thinking right now, oh, I wish I would have grabbed that cup of coffee. You know, I could have used a cup of coffee right now, and I, I don't want to get up and leave the service because it, I get noticed. Yeah, you do. <laughs> we're small enough kind of thing. It's going to happen. But we get caught up in the moment. We get caught up with what we can get. And this is not unusual, not even in Jesus' day. Luke chapter 17 shares an interesting story in which Jesus healed ten lepers. And listen to what happened when he healed these men. 
Begin with verse 11. He says this. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now that was awfully presumptuous on Jesus' part. You didn't go to the priest unless you were already clean. They had not yet been cleaned, and Jesus tells them to go to the priest. And on their way to going to the priests, they became healed. And all of a sudden, now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Think about that. These ten men who were healed of leprosy, only one came back and got it. And said, oh yeah, Jesus, thank you. It's because of you I'm healed. It's because of you I've been made well. It's because of you that I'm able to stand here cleansed. All the other nine were just enamored with the miracle and missed the sign. They were in the moment. They were just so taken aback and they were just so you know, enamored with the fact that they were clean that they didn't even bother to go back to Jesus and say, hey, thanks. Thank you so much. But that is just human nature, isn't it? We get caught up in the moment. And in fact, in many ways, as human beings, we are geared towards this. Our minds, it's really hard for us to think long-term, isn't it? You even take a look at the stats right now about retirement and people who are saving for retirement. What is it, around 34% of Americans save for retirement kind of thing? And that most Americans are ill-equipped for retirement right now? Uh, it's, just, it's just unbelievable, right? I get it. Oftentimes, we are just worried about making it through the day. We're just worried about whether or not we're going to have a job at the end of the day, whether or not we're going to have enough to eat, whether or not we're going to still have our home, whether or not we're going to have enough to you know, dress ourselves and care for our family and all this kind of stuff. And all of these immediate things come in. And so basically what we are trying to do is that we are just trying to survive. And if we're just trying to survive, it is really difficult for us to think much past the present or the moment. Does that make sense? There's an illustration I want to share with you that is reality of our situation. And uh, a pastor by the name of Francis Chan did this illustration. I thought this was a great illustration. I've got a rope here. And uh, this rope represents your life. Right? Now imagine here on this little red part that you see here is our lives on this earth. Right? This is where we're born. This is where we die right? That's it. This is, this is our life on earth. And we make decisions based on, for the most part, while we are living on earth, don't we? And we think, even thinking years from now, that we are planning for the future. But the reality is, is that for each and every one of us, and it doesn't matter if we follow Jesus or we don't follow Jesus, we are all destined for eternity. We are all destined for eternity. And here's the problem. Although we are living in here, the reality is, is that this is just so little 
compared to the rest of our lives, isn't it? That it is hard for us to think about the fact that, you know what? Where we are now is just a blip on the screen. Let me share something with you high school students. Those of you who are here in person and those of you who might be tuning in later. I don't know if you will be, but maybe you are. I'm realistic about this stuff, okay? I was in high school. Those of us who have been there, we're in high school. At the time, we thought this was forever, didn't we? Forever. High school. High school was forever. That what we do here... Man, will it ever end? Let me just tell you something, those of you who are in high school. It is such a small blip on the radar screen. The relationships that you might have in high school, chances are you will not have 10 years from that point after you graduate. That all of those ups and downs of who am I dating and all of the drama, and I hated that stuff. Can I just be honest with you? I mean, I didn't date. I had one date in high school. Now, partly because I was chicken to ask anyone out, but (laughs) mainly because I just didn't want to deal with the drama. I just saw the drama. I just saw the drama of the ups and downs. And you think at that point in your life that it's the end of the world if you don't get to experience some of those things or you don't get to date anybody or you don't get to do all that stuff. And let me just tell you, I am nearly 30 years removed from high school. Nearly, not quite. Okay? Nearly 30 years removed from high school. Let me just tell you all, you high school kids, there's a whole lot of life left to be lived. And what happens in high school will seem minuscule after you have lived well past that point. But it doesn't stop us from thinking in that moment, oh, this is just so important. This just matters so much. It really doesn't. There are really so much more things that are more important. But it doesn't stop us from thinking in the moment, does it? How many of us have gotten into arguments in the moment that when we look at it long term, that it is, why? Why did we ever have these disagreements? It was worthless. It was just absolutely just a waste of time to have these arguments. How many times have we got caught up in the moment on things and we have done things or made decisions such as getting married, right? At the last minute. We have a whole industry dedicated to people who want to get married on a whim. Right? There's a place called Las Vegas. And there's a place called a drive-by chapels in which you don't even have to get out of your car, apparently. You can stay in your car and get married at a moment of wherever, and usually alcohol is involved. Sounds like we know what we're talking about. <laughs> scares me a little bit. Just scares me. Makes me, yeah, makes me nervous. That we can get married on a whim. I am so infatuated with you. And that's really what it is. It, it isn't love. It's just a feeling in the moment. And you commit to life with that person. And then you wake up the next day when you are thinking more clearly. And you go, what did I just do? What did I just do? do or a moment of just infatuation we engage in some activity we should never engage in and then all of a sudden we have a responsibility that continues that comes nine months later that continues on for the rest of your life and they call christians prudes and and just look at us and say how can you be so you know you know just absolutely constricted about 
when it comes to things like sex and all this kind of stuff. It's like, no, we're not being constricted. We know. Think more than just beyond the moment. Go way beyond that. There was a story, I love this, when in the 80s, um, for those of you who lived in the 80s, which I did, I grew up in the 80s. There's some of our young people who wished they grew up in the 80s. Right? They're just copying. I mean, come on. They didn't live in the 80s. I lived in the 80s. Right? And back in the 80s, there was the Iron Curtain, if you remember this, right? And we were in a Cold War with Russia. And Ronald Reagan was our president then. And he was in negotiations with Mikhail Gorbachev. Remember Mikhail Gorbachev? Uh, You know, the birthmark on his head in which a naked gun, Leslie Nielsen, tried to rub it off kind of thing. You probably didn't even see those movies. Anyways, they're, they're hilarious. Anyways, and, and it was interesting. They're in these negotiations, and for years, since the 50s, since the end of World War II, we were in this Cold War. And all we were thinking in the United States up until that point was basically, let's make sure we have more weapons than Russia. Let's make sure that we are more powerful than Russia. Let's make sure we were living in the moment. And, and Mikhail Gorbachev and Ronald Reagan were in these meetings, and they, it wasn't going so well. And they were with their aides on both sides and all that kind of stuff. Finally, the aides left, and all they had was just those two guys and the translators, right? And in the middle of that, Ronald Reagan leans over to Gorbachev and whispers, hey, listen, theoretical situation. If aliens, this is a true story, were to come down and invade America, would Russia come to our aid? And Gorbachev said, absolutely. And right there at that moment, it was like, then what are we arguing about? If one of us were attacked by aliens, we would come to each other's aid in a matter of seconds. We wouldn't even question it. Then what are we arguing about? And it was at that moment that the negotiations changed. Instead of just trying to say, well, let's make sure we have more weapons than you, that all of a sudden now, let's see if we can get rid of these things. Because ultimately, we would come to each other's aid if one of us, you know, encountered a foreign threat of some sort. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we just live in this moment. And the crowds were living in this moment. And we live in this moment and we forget that there's a whole lot of left of time than we realize. And that is we have eternity. And we have to think way beyond that as hard as this is. And that's what Jesus is going to challenge these people to do. And he does this in the following way, and I'll get there, but he says this as he goes on. And the people said this, Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? And again, this is again short-term thinking. The people, you know, Jesus has confronted them and says, the only reason why you were impressed is because I gave you bread. The only reason why that uh, you want to be with me, I'm going to move this because I think I was hitting this. That's got an iPad on it and it's Ravens and I don't want to break that iPad. She could get really mad at me. I've never seen her mad yet. <laughs> Might be there. Um, anyways, so I figured there was something hitting my back. I was like, who's back there? I thought it was my cord um, and it wasn't. Anyways, um, here's the thing is that he said, you're just impressed with this, but let me, t- let me get, there's more to this, and that is, this, the, there's more to life than just bread, and the immediate here. And they said, well, okay, what shall we do? How can we work the works of God? And Jesus said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, 
What then do you do for a sign, so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. So all of a sudden now the people were just trying to figure out, okay, Jesus, we get it, okay, how can we work for this? And Jesus is like, you don't get it. There's nothing you can do to work for it. You have to believe. And they said, well, wait a minute, Jesus. You gave, you know, God gave us a sign in which to believe. For instance, he gave us manna, or Moses gave us manna out of heaven to believe. And Jesus says this in verse 32. Jesus said, then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Even then, they still didn't get it. They believed Moses gave them the bread. And Jesus had to say, no, 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 Moses didn't give you the bread. I gave you the bread. Right? We just think in the moment. But we live in eternity. We think in the moment, but we live in eternity. So what do we do? That's the tension that we face. So what do we do? Well, Jesus tells us we believe and we believe in him. Why do we believe in Jesus? Jesus gives us that answer and this is the second reality about who he is. Jesus takes care of us now and forever. Jesus takes care of us now and forever. He finally says this in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Now, this is not the first time that we've encountered that little phrase, I am. Ego ami is the Greek. Ego, we know that we get our word ego from that word, as in personhood or who, you know, who we are, identity, that sort of thing. And so what we understand about this phrase, the I am phrase, is that it is oftentimes used to describe God himself, right? That I am phrase is a verb. It is, a, it is an action. It is not a noun in this case. In other words, in that phrase, the I am sayings of Jesus, what he is saying is, is that I am the causer of things. I am the one who starts things. I am the one who sustains things. That is what Jesus is saying in using that phrase, I am. That is what Moses learned when he asked God, who am I to tell them when I go to them that you sent me? And God replies, tell them I am sent you. Being, I am the causer of things. I'm the one who starts things. I am the one who will finish things. I am the one who sustains things. Let me just say this. Our God, the God whom we serve, doesn't react to things. He is the one who causes things to happen. John 1.1 clearly lays this out in such a powerful way. And of course, John 1.1 gives us a very different story of the birth of Jesus than the other three Gospels. In that he describes Jesus as the Word. And in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. <coughs> Excuse me. And then it goes on to say that Jesus created everything. And that nothing was made that hasn't already been made. It's beautiful. 
He is the one who does all this. He is the causer, not the one who reacts. That is a powerful statement that Jesus is using when he says, I am. I am. And he says this, I am the bread of life. Now, in Jesus' day, bread was absolutely a regular staple of their diet. Not like today, where we have choices, right? We do have bread, then we have gluten-free bread, (coughs) and then we have things other than bread that we can use. But in Jesus' day, bread was absolutely essential to their diet. In fact, so important is bread in the scriptures, it is mentioned over 492 times. That is powerful. It is absolutely essential. And so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is saying, I am the one who sustains you. Not only now, but forever. Not only now, but forever. In fact, he says this, He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is, as Jesus says, the will of him who sent me. That all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is saying two things in this statement. He says, I'm going to take care of you now, and I will take care of you forever. I am the bread of life. Not only will I sustain you right now, I will sustain you forever. I will sustain you forever. It's interesting that part of the Lord's Prayer, one of the most recognized prayers in the world, that one line out of that prayer is simply, give us this day what? Our daily bread. Jesus, by the way, shared that with his disciples and how they should pray. That he will sustain us now. Now think about this. I know we may not realize this all the time because we kind of live in the moment and we sometimes forget the fact that it's quite frankly a miracle. But behind that is the sign as to why that miracle exists. But think about this. When was the last time you and I went hungry? Not because we didn't have food in the house. Maybe we went hungry because we were fasting, or maybe we went hungry because we forgot to grab lunch or breakfast or something like that or whatever else. But truly, when was the last time you and I were truly hungry? Starving, and we had no food to eat. Can't think of it. It's hard, isn't it? The reality is is that we are here and we are sustained because of the fact that Jesus sustains us. He gives us bread or food or sustenance for this day. That's a beautiful thing. It's a miracle. 
And many of us might miss that because we're just so used to it or we just fail to see it. I mean, that is just a beautiful... He sustains us even right now. Whether or not you realize it, the very fact that you and I are vertical, I hope we are, is the fact that Jesus has allowed our bodies to continue to live, our hearts to pump blood, our lungs to continue to receive air and to exhale, the fact that everything is at least at this point functioning as it should be, and we are able to be vertical at this very moment. It's a beautiful thing. Think about that. He sustains us right now. He is allowing us to live. He's allowing us to function. He's allowing us to be where we are right now. And not only that, as he has shared here, he is now also taking care of us forever in that when we believe in him, we will not only be being taken care of now, but we will be taken care of for eternity. He will provide for us for eternity. That when we leave this earth, we know where we will be and we know we will be well taken care of. That is what Jesus says when he says, I am the bread of life. I love what Isaiah 46, verses 4 through 9 share. And I think it's just a perfect picture of God taking care of us. And it says this, Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I will take care of you. I will sustain you. I have done it, and I will carry you. And I will bear you, and I will deliver you. To him who would, be, who would liken me and make me equal and compare me, that we would be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on the scale hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. They bow down. Indeed, they worship it. Think about this. The God whom gives them life, they miss that God and instead take whatever is man-made or whatever is available that God has made, not to the point that we would worship it, but nonetheless, they fashion it into some sort of idol and they bow down to it. They've missed the sign and instead have been indulged with the miracle. And they sell it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may cry to it, it cannot answer. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Those are idols. They do nothing. How many of us get caught up in some of that stuff and we think, man, this is great. This is unbelievable. If I take these vitamins, and there's nothing wrong with taking vitamins, please do not hear me on this, okay? If I take these vitamins, I can live forever. First of all, why would you want to live forever in this world? And secondly, why would you want to live forever in the body that you are in right now? Right? But I'm going to take these vitamins. I think, I think it's kind of funny. One day when they are, you know, some people way off in the, near, in, in, the, in the future there is going to dig up, you know, our civilization at some point and find out the diets that they had and say, what were these people eating? <laughs> Holy cow. Some of this stuff never digested. You see that gluten-free bread? It never, it never went away. It never went away. Boy, I hope it tasted good. <laughs> Let me just say this. Gluten-free has come a long way. Some of that stuff tastes really good. Yesterday, I confessing to my daughter, who's not here, but she's gluten-free, and I, I broke into some bag of pretzels yesterday, gluten-free pretzels. Man, those things are delicious. I love those things. I don't know if they're digesting well, but I love them. 
one, okay? I mean, that's just, love those things. Anyways, and we think that if we do these things, nothing wrong with that. We ought to take care of ourselves. I'm not saying that. And that's not what Jesus is not saying, okay? But the reality is, those things will not give us eternal life. And as much as we are trying to put off death, here's the reality. We are all going to die. But it is, and I love how the Bible oftentimes phrases it, it's sleep. Right? When Lazarus died, Jesus said this, he's, he's simply asleep and I have to go and wake him. His disciples thought oh, he really is asleep. He's really taking a nap. No, it was a dirt nap. Don't get me wrong. But it was, it, it, it's temporary. Sleep is temporary. Eventually you do wake up. Right? Some of us a little crankier than others. But we do wake up up because it's temporary death is temporary eternal life is forever let me say this no matter what we think we can do to try to prolong our lives on this earth ultimately we will succumb to death it will happen no matter how much we might champion vitamins and diets and nothing wrong with that stuff but be very careful not to worship it in the place of what the real miracle is and that jesus christ sustains us that's the real miracle. And he can and will sustain us long after we have left this earth. Long after it. There have been people who have tried to help us understand the importance of accepting Jesus. All sorts of people. For instance, there was a, a mathematician and philosopher, Blaise Pascal. He developed this unique idea of what's called the Pascal's Wager. It goes something along the lines of that the fact is that we as human beings are in sort of a game. I don't always agree with this, but nonetheless. And that God is or God is not. Either God exists or he does not. And you and I have to make a decision about whether or not he does or does not exist. And if he does exist, therefore, then everything that he says must be true, including the fact that there is eternal life. And if that's the case, maybe we ought to believe and trust what God is saying. Therefore, accept Jesus. If you do not believe in God, well, okay, then maybe there is no eternal life, then you don't believe that there is a life after death, and that after you leave this earth, that's it. You're done. And Blaise Pascal says this, listen, take a chance. Trust Jesus. What have you got to lose? Let's say you do trust Jesus, and it turns out at the end that, you know what, there is no eternal life, there is nothing. What have you lost? What have you lost? But if there is, oh, you have so much to gain. Now, I, I understand that. But let me tell you, maybe in a different way, why I think we should trust Jesus. This life isn't forever. This life isn't forever. And although many of us maybe have planned for retirement and many of us are probably enjoying retirement and that's wonderful, God bless you, that's fantastic, this isn't it. We have not yet arrived. There is a life well beyond this one. And even if we do not know Jesus personally, we know in some yearning of our hearts in every single person, we know that there has to be something more than this, that this cannot just be it. And as Christians, we know what that is. That's why we as Christians even make decisions now that many other people look at us and go, you guys are crazy. 
Why are you making these decisions? Because we are thinking well beyond the fact of just this life. We are thinking for eternity. Because we know this, and Jesus said it himself, he is the bread of life. So my question to all of us is this. Are we ready? Are we ready for eternity? Are we ready and have we planned? And the only planning we can do is simply believe in Jesus Christ. There's nothing we can work towards. We can't open up an eternal IRA, Roth IRA, so it's tax-free. <laughs> can't do that. Are we willing to simply believe in the one whom said it himself, I am the bread of life. I will not only take care of you now, but I will take care of you forever. Are you ready? Are you ready for that eternity? Are you prepared? Maybe some of you are here today, and as followers of Jesus, maybe we can admit that, boy, you know what? I have sometimes missed the sign for the miracle. And just a reminder of just saying, hey, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for taking care of me right now. And thank you that I'm taking care of for eternity. Maybe there's some of you here today that don't know Jesus yet. And my hope and my prayer is, is that today you will want to. Because of who he said he is. And the fact that he has thought this out. And not only that, he has done the work necessary so that he can, be take, that he can take care of us. Not only now, but forever. And all we need to do is invite him into our lives. And believe. Let's just take a few moments and let's just give thanks and let's also acknowledge the bread of life. Father, I am grateful that you have given us enough for today. That you have given us enough food for us to eat today, enough for us to handle for today. But not only that, Jesus, I am grateful that you have all already have taken care of for what we will need for eternity with you. Jesus, I pray for those of us who know you that we would not be like those crowds that missed the sign and instead just became enamored with the miracle. Father, I pray that we would even right now just thank you. Just thank you for how you continue to care for us right now, in this place, in this very moment. And Father, I want to pray for anyone out there that may not know you, whether in this room or joining us online, Jesus, I pray that if they have not yet thought about eternity, but they are thinking about it now, what's the plan? How are they going to be taken care of? Jesus, I pray that today they would put their trust in you by simply saying, Jesus, come into my life. I believe you. I trust you. Save me. Take care of me. Not only now, but forever. In your name I pray.